This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over 80,000 vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports really. And the best part is anyone can take advantage of GMC's platform by signing up for consignment services. What are you waiting for? Head on over to gregmorriscards.com consignment and start moving your cards with Greg Morris today. What's up, everyone? This is episode 239 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my X account is at Wax Museum PC. Okay, so I got another fun show for you today. I've got a quick segment at the top here about a really messed up fanatic shirt and Michael Rubin's uh, quote apology, which of course I'll link to sports cards a little further down the line. I'm going to hold off on a mail segment this week because guess what? It was all football cards. I was watching red zone. I think I ended up buying five football cards in the process, uh, but that's not for this show here. So you can check that out on my YouTube channel. If that sounds like something you might be interested in. And then in today's main segment, I've got a fun conversation with a longtime collector named Mike who goes by the handle at MikeBevCeltics on Instagram. You'll want to make sure to stay tuned for that. So last week I planned on opening the show with a quick little segment breaking down a recent Fanatics article from Drew Madry. And I'm not going to read the title on air because it's explicit, but several of you shared it with me and I know it's still making the rounds. Anyway, I thought this piece provided a good overview of Fanatics' aggressive takeover in the apparel industry, and it talked quite a bit about how the quality of their merchandise, and subsequently Nike and other companies' merchandise, has taken a dive in the process. There was even a mention of them purchasing tops and how some of that might trickle into the card world as well. So, like I said, talking about that article, that was the plan, but I ended up scratching that segment at the 11th hour, I thought it might be a little repetitive. Granted, it's something that concerns me quite a bit right now, but I don't want to say the same things to you guys week after week. Well, not long after that, Michael Rubin took to social media with uh, an apology, and I use that term loosely, for a small batch of Philadelphia Eagles shirts that were shipped out to customers, and they were really messed up. And I shared the post in my stories. A lot of you have probably seen it by now. The numbers were super crooked. And it was something that no one in their right mind would feel comfortable wearing, not even an Eagles fan. So like I said, Ruben posted a response. I want to read a little bit of that today and share some of my thoughts. So Ruben wrote, if there's one thing I've learned in business, own your mistakes. Anytime we let any fan down, it's a failure on our part and that's on me. Last year, we sold nearly 4 million units of Eagles merchandise. That's just Eagles products, which shows Philly fans truly are the greatest That said, I let some of you down and I apologize. Even though this specific issue only affected a few dozen customers, it is still completely unacceptable that this mistake happened. One bad product and one unhappy customer is one too many. Now, you get the underlying message there, right? He's trying to sound like he's sorry, 
while still downplaying the situation from the company's side of things. Because he said, you know, only a few dozen people were affected out of nearly 4 million units. And in the comments, someone chimed in that the rest of the 4 million were destroyed after the second time in the wash. And not only is that hilarious, but it's spot on. Because even if they go and press another shirt real quick, and the numbers are straight this time, it's still a low-quality shirt. And that's something that, for whatever reason, Fanatics just refuses to address. And in this case, when they talk about the production error, it's just another way for them to try to regain control of the narrative. But we already knew that about Ruben. We've seen this kind of spin before. I've outlined it on this show. That's the repetitive part I was initially worried about. But I feel like I need to shout it from the rooftop, seeing as it's happening in real time. We're already seeing it with baseball. And as I've said before, this is the path that we're likely headed down with basketball cards as well. So as card people, when someone like Ruben posts something like this, we need to be all over this comment section pushing back and calling things as they are, which a lot of people did. If you look in there, Fanatic got trashed, and rightfully so. Um, there were, however, some pro-Ruben comments or, or pro-Fanatic's comments from people that have a substantial following in the card world. I think one of them's even been identified as a hobby ambassador, which I don't even really know what that means, because patting Ruben on the back here probably isn't helping the hobby in the long run. So this comment section was very telling to me. If you're a hobby account and you have any sort of influence, I would hope you chime in for the greater good. And for that matter, even if you feel like you don't have any influence in the grand scheme of things, I hope you still chime in anyway. So I'm pretty sure this whole Eagle shirt thing originated with social media, and then that turned into an article. So we know that Ruben and company have at least seen some of the pushback. And this is pretty typical with what we've seen before, by the way. The grading companies are the exact same way. It's been very hard to get any sort of response from them unless one of their big mistakes is blasted all over social media. You might remember PSA and, and the Kawhi RPA that was swapped that they featured in one of their magazines. Uh, BGS had that black label tin Zion that was just horribly off-centered. So they, they have to be made to look really stupid before they do anything. Um, and that's kind of the case of, of what happened here with Fanatics. And you know, there are some of you out there, maybe you notice something's wrong, you want to chime in, but maybe confrontation's not your thing. And I get it. You know, even though I push back on some stuff at times, I don't necessarily get enjoyment out of it. So I get it. And if that's the case, at least go through and like all the comments from people pushing back that you agree with or share posts from the people that are pushing back. And if everyone chimes in in some way, then we can see for ourselves if Ruben and friends really want to own their mistakes as they claim to do, or if this is just more of the same lip service that we've seen in the past. All right, before I move into today's conversation, I want to remind you that this show is brought to you in part by ComC.com, and right now they're hosting an NBA tip-off event. So if you've got basketball cards, send them in and you can get 30% off both elite and select submissions. Additionally, if your new elite submissions sell for over $100, you can earn a full rebate on processing fees. There's a lot of good stuff going on there right now. Head on over to the ComC blog and check it out for yourself. Okay, and then real quick, some of you have also asked me for ways you can help support this show. The easiest way is my eBay affiliate link, and using this link costs you absolutely nothing, just an extra 30 seconds or so of your time. 
but it helps support the show. To access this link, simply go to waxmuseumpodcast.com, click the eBay logo, shop as planned, so whatever you are going to buy anyway, just click my link first, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hustle, grind, spam, profit. We're the Whip Gods. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, so joining me today is someone that I've chatted with a bit on social media, but I'm excited to get to know more. There's a good chance you've seen him ripping boxes or showing off his collection via Instagram, where he posts under the handle at MikeBevCeltics. And Mike, as hinted by your handle, you live in the Northeast, so I gotta ask you, do you feel like Sholey is accurately representing your region in his role as the official Northeastern correspondent? Well, when you asked me to be on this uh, podcast, I had to come in because he may have been a little off on a few things, so I had to set this record straight for, for him, but no, in all, in all honesty, Sholey is a great guy, he's, he's a great person, I've met him multiple times at shows, we talked multiple times on a Celtics group chat, and he's always a pleasure to, to speak with, and it's always great to hear him on this podcast. I told you uh, on a recent post, he should be the official uh, co-host, but maybe we'll just take mascot for now, so... Okay. Well, yeah. Mascot. I don't know if that's a, uh, a, I don't know if that's a lateral move or what necessarily, but uh, it's good to know that all of our hours spent on zoom together have, have not been in vain then. Now, as I mentioned in the intro, you and I have chatted a little bit on social media, sure. but uh, you know, aside from chatting before this conversation today, we don't know each other real well. So I figure we can start things off by having you run us through your collecting history and feel free to take however much time you need here. Give us some context for how you got to where you are today. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you said, we chatted a little bit on social media. And I feel like I'm, I'm a little bit newer to the pod. I've probably listened for a half a year now. But every time I listen, I'm pumped to uh, go respond to some of the posts there and chat with you there. And I feel like we probably grew up in the same era. We collected the same times. So we have a lot of the same interests in terms of cards. And that's why it's so fun to listen to the podcast every week. But my collecting history, it started back in... 1992 it was Shaquille O'Neal's rookie year and I'll always remember this day my brother's birthday party Joe Bebs 13 on Instagram he had his birthday party I was obviously invited to it two years younger than him and he got a pack of Fleer basketball cards and in it he pulled the Shaquille O'Neal rookie card and I didn't know who Shaquille O'Neal was at, at that point and someone said oh my god that guy is a monster and me at like I don't know, five six seven years old I'm thinking he's an actual monster playing basketball so that hooked me into basketball that hooked me into uh, collecting. I was a ma- I was called the magic fanatic in grade school, even though I, you know, my brother liked the Celtics. So I had to like another team. And obviously when I heard he was a monster, I had to like the magic. So I was the magic fanatic growing up. And um, that was my thought right there. But on top of that, my cousin, um, who many people might know from going to the big, big shows like the national and some other big shows, John Ryan, he, I think he has the best setup. He has the most amazing uh, collection there. He owned a card store which is called Around the Horn in Haverhill, Massachusetts, while I was growing up. My other cousin, David, who people might remember from a while back, he used to work at the store. And so I used to go and they used to give me free packs and free cards. And, you know, I learned so much about it. And they were so passionate about it, but that their passion went on to my brother and I. And then we loved opening packs. So we would open packs back in the day, I'd say like 92 through maybe 96. And we would always put the cards in a big pile 
and then we draft the team, you know, randomly from behind our backs and see who, who got the better team. We put little stickers on the backs of the cards with the Beckett value, seeing who had the better collection. My brother always did because I was the one with quantity over quality. I would open Fleer packs. He would open Fleer Ultra packs. I would get an extra pack, but he'd get better cards. And then around 96, 97, we both stopped collecting. We love basketball. You know, we watch basketball every game, but we just stopped collecting for whatever reason. And then around 2001, I started seeing game-worn jersey items come in. I'm like, that is the coolest thing. Actually, now that I think of it, I, I was collecting Beanie Babies because they had a lot of value. So I used to go to Beanie Baby shows. I used to have my dad take me to Beanie Baby shows. He was a, he thought I was going crazy because I was collecting these little bears and stuff. But when that tanked, I think I looked for something new to collect. And around 2001, as I mentioned, 99, 2000, 2001, I started seeing game-worn items come out. And I remember I went with my cousin David and my brother Joe to a, a Target, I think it was. It was a Target, one of those retail stores. And I got a retail box of Ovation basketball. And it was Kenyon Martin's rookie year. And he was the first pick. So I brought it home. I still remember it was the XFL's first game. I was watching the XFL's <laughs> first game, which was awful, uh, and opening the box. And I pulled a numbered Kenyon Martin rookie. And I, again, I'd never seen a card with a serial number on the card. And right after I saw that rookie, number one overall pick, serial numbered, I've been hooked since that day. It is all from that one card. You know, seeing a serial number, buying some game-worn items on eBay. My uncle, he let me use it. My dad wouldn't let me have an eBay account. It was around like 2099. My dad wouldn't let me have an eBay account, so I used my uncle's. And he's like, yeah, go ahead, bid on anything you want. And oh, I'm like, geez. well, what happens if I win? What happens if I win these things? He's like, oh, you're not going to win. You'll get a bid. So the next day he called my mother and he's like, we have a problem. And I'm like, well, what's the problem? He's like, you won everything you bid on. <laughs> and luckily it was only around like $200. But at that point I didn't have $200. So my mom bought it. My poor uncle had to write out every money order. Yeah, I was going to say, probably not the PayPal era then either. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so that, you know, eBay, I think eBay coming back got me hooked, you know, seeing the whole market right at your fingertips. And in addition, that numbered Kenyon Martin and seeing a serial number on a card still gets me excited. To just think back to that day. Yeah. And I was going to ask you if, if you thought, if you grew up in a different region, you would still, um, you would still be a collector today, but it sounds like number one, you had a lot of influence from your family, but then also you mentioned Beanie Babies. You've got that collecting gene in you, right? Oh, Do you yeah. think that's a thing? Oh, I, I just love collecting. It, it, it gets me, you know, I'm happy every day because, you know, I get to flip through the collection. I always got to see what, what's next. What else am I adding? I collect wrestling action figures. I collect sports cards. I love to collect Star Wars, the original figures, but I just can't focus on that because I'm busy so much with sports cards and other things. But yeah, my brother and I both love to collect. So it's fun to be able to do that with him and uh, and always look for that next thing. It's always what's next. You can never be happy with what you have. It's always what's next down the road. So I just now, th you know, like I think I, I think I told you before, I, um, before we signed on here today is that whenever I listen to your podcast, I get so excited to go out and start looking through boxes, looking at shows, looking at stores. So luckily I listen to on our Friday because that weekend usually has the shows. Right. Yeah. It's a lot of it is the hunt. And, and um, this Mike and I were talking earlier, for those of you that are, are listening, you know, we can spend a lot of time, really a, a, an unusual amount of time looking for stuff. And if you were to quantify it by the hours and and maybe the money or the, <laughs> or the fines that are the result of that, it's not really worth it, but for us, there's an experience cost in the whole thing. And, and we like the hunt and we get a lot of enjoyment out of all that. Now, Mike, I don't think a lot of people realize just how important collectors such as yourself are to the collecting community at large, because 
you know, we can study hobby history or study pack odds and all those sorts of things, but there's value in hearing from people who actually lived through the experiences themselves. Um, for instance, I remember hearing people ask about, you know, I want to buy this 2003 Topps Chrome box and they wanted to know how hard it was to pull a LeBron rookie. Well, a lot of that stuff was discussed on message board threads that no longer exist. Maybe it was yep. the old Beckett boards or Hobby Kings or whatever. I love Hobby Kings still. Right. And you're not going to find a lot of Topps Chrome breaks on YouTube, at least not from nope. you know, a fresh case or anything. So that information has to come from people like you. So, you know, I wonder, I, I know a lot of the stuff that you post is because you enjoy it, but there is an educational side of things as well. Does that ever factor in for you or is that just a, a byproduct of something you already love? You know, I think it's I think it's a mixture of both. You know, for me to post a car, it's gonna be something that I find unique. But I find, you know, I don't like to post something that everyone's gonna be posting, like a mosaic rookie or or prism rookie or you know, back in like the the, the pandemic when those things were popular at the time. I like stuff that I found entertaining, I found exciting, and it really shows. I think um, when I post it, a lot of people are like, "Wow, I haven't seen that car in for years," or "Wow, I didn't know that card even existed." So I like to post a little bit of education, showing some people some of the rarer cards, some of the ones that may not be as popular as, say, the new things today, but may be rarer in the terms of you just don't see them anymore. They're, they're, they're locked up. I think we were talking earlier as well with your parallels and insert show last week, how those red um, red knight cards from 2013 Donruss, I, I've never seen one of those in person. So if, if I pulled, if I end up picking up any player, I definitely post something like that and just say, how hard these actually were to post. So I think it's a mixture of both. It's got to be something I like first off, I find unique, but also something that may be able to educate some of uh, my followers on it as well. Now, you mentioned things that you like. When I go on your Instagram, I see NBA <laughs> stuff. I see NFL stuff. You're ripping baseball boxes. You've yeah. got a lot of wrestling cards. I think I even saw um, an Ewok fur relic at yes, one point. Yes, you did. I love that thing. <laughs> so you collect a, a wide range of you know, sports and subjects. And, you know, even though I've got cards from other sports and even though I did just buy five football cards this past weekend while watching red zone, I guess I've always been afraid to dive in because I know it will come at the expense of building my basketball collection. And that's kind of always been my main love. So what is your current criteria for adding a card to your collection? And how do you think that that process has evolved over time? You know, I think one of the, uh, the benefits for me is that I'm a part flipper, part collector. So I get the best of both worlds. So it gives me the opportunity to go through football stuff and baseball stuff and, and non-sports stuff and wrestling stuff and basketball stuff, because it's always stuff I'm looking to add. And I know I'm lucky. I'm fortunate to be doing this long enough that I know the parallels. I know the rare inserts for both football and basketball and basketball and baseball. So I'll always search through the bargain box for all three of those sports. Don't really know hockey at all. And I'm not a huge hockey fan myself, but, um, you know, I, I don't, I sort of flip over, skip over that, but um, it's cool seeing some unique cards come out these days with wrestling WWE, you know, tops did a great job for a while with WWE, but I think Panini in this short term of, of, uh, of uh, having the license. And unfortunately it seems like that's over now. They had some really u unique cards, some really cool autographs um, with immaculate and, and um, uh, the one that, I opened and didn't get the hit I need. I can't run. I, I was going to say, right did now. you get the, was it a bloodline booklet? Did you get that? No, I, well, I could have been, but, um, but I, I, the one of one will never, I'll never know what the heck that was, but they yeah, had the bloodline book. That was really cool. And some of those um, immaculate autographs, they have like the history of WrestleMania sets. They have signature moment sets. 
And you just don't see like those pictures with those autographs are amazing to me. So I, I can do a little bit of everything. So, but what goes into my collection, it's got to be unique to me. It's got to be something that pops up and says, I need that card. For instance, um, I don't really have like a, a want. I have a few cards I still really, really want that I'm still waiting to find. I won't really seek them until I actually find them. But a lot of stuff, it'll just pop. When I see it, it just pops. And I say, I say, I need to have that. For instance, when I was at the National this year, I saw a Bret Hart 101 Select Black um, card, PSA 10. And I said, I need that card. So I asked the guy how much it was. He said a price. I said, okay, here's the money. And that's okay. in my collection now. Also, um, from RBI Crew 7, they had a Han, uh, uh, Harrison Ford autograph. I've always been looking for Harrison Ford autograph. And they gave me a great price. So that was in my collection now. So what goes into my collection? There's really no criteria. There's really no rhyme or reason why they are added to my collection. It just could be something I like, something I find unique, something I don't see that often, and something I say, you know what, down the road, this could be worth even more possibly. Um, so that's what usually heads into my collection. Now, you alluded to a 101 that you were supposed to get and didn't get. Let's go more into the story of that, because I believe that was an impeccable box impeccable, that you ripped, yes. right? Can you take us through that story? And, and keep in mind, there might be some non-wrestling people listening, so kind of put it into context for them. So I was opening a box, and it was WWE impeccable, but you know, picture any impeccable box, which is a high-end box. It costs a lot of money, um, but I opened a case. I was opening it. It was from a sealed case, too. So I opened the first box. I opened the second box. Third box, there's a white border, uh, white, um, the white little white cards they put in the pack so it so you don't know if it's a jersey like or not. The, yeah, like the decoy. We call them the decoy, decoy white cards, decoy I guess. card. And it had some tech, they had written text. And this is like, again, a sealed box, a sealed case, a sealed pack that's inside the box itself. A white decoy card that had some text on. I can't re- I really remember what it was. And then it was signed 101. And I'm like, thank God I'm filming this because who the heck is going to believe this? But you, you can't not believe it when it comes right off the camera. And um, I, I, you know, I was I was pretty upset because, again, it was a, the, the case wasn't the best. I felt like it was missing the case hit. And it said it literally said one of one on it. So it should have been a one of one in the box. So I instantly posted to Instagram, got a lot of support from a lot of people. So thank you to everyone who shared it and po- you know, posted about it or tagged Panini on it. I don't think. I feel like Panini is such a big company. They just don't care. I mean, if I don't collect, they're going to find someone else to buy the boxes. Fortunately, now they don't have boxes. <laughs> um, but they're going to find someone else to, to buy them. Uh, so they didn't really respond back. But at the same time, I was talking with someone. I had a Kobe Bryant expired redemption. I'm not sure if you remember when Kobe Bryant tragically passed away. They sent a memo out saying you're either going to get an autograph, another autograph Kobe card, which they did send me for a few I had in the system. And, and, and thank you to them for that. They said, you're going to get a Kobe tribute pack. Mm-hmm. Or if you have an expired redemption, they're going to give you points automatically. It so, was like a, like a mosaic special Kobe edition. Exactly. Pack, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Which I actually got actually pretty well. A couple of them I got. So I had one Kobe left in the, in the redemption system for a while. And a year went by and another year went by. And I saw them at the national one year and they said, Oh, we can't give you anything now. Cause you'll just get points, but or you'll just get a, a Kobe pack, but we're trying to get you an autograph. Okay, that sounds great. So all so all of a sudden one day I get like some insanely low number of points pop in my account. I'm like, what the heck is that? They said, oh, it's because you had your Kobe; it was already expired. I go, okay, I get that. But what? It, I called the company up. I called literally probably 18 times, hanging up, picking up, hanging up, picking up, and then finally got someone, and he said, it's because this card had already expired. And I said, okay, I understand that, but 
if that's the case, why didn't you give me points way back two years ago when you actually were signed this whole process or send me a Kobe pack, like you said in the in the email you're going to? And he said, I understand. I'm going to try to get you something else, you know, to, to, to make up for our error. So this same impeccable thing happened that during that whole process. Huh. And so I was, I was bashing, you know, no one's responding. So I'm bashing Panini on there on my story. And then he screenshot this. I didn't know who the guy was following me. He, he screenshot the story saying, he, and emailed me saying, Mike, is this you? And I'm like, yep, that's me. So I'm like, <laughs> all right, well, I'm probably not going to get anything. But he said, luckily enough, he said, okay, I'm going to send you a, a box to make up for it. And he sent me another impeccable box. So I'll never know what the one-on-one was, but I got a pretty cool Goldberg autograph, um, which actually went into my PC. So it all, you know, it all worked out in the end. And, and I do say thank you to Panini for working it out in the end of the day. Um, it shouldn't have taken as long as it did, but you know, like I said, I got to give them credit because they did make the situation right. So, uh, and I, and I am pretty upset that they're losing the WWE license because like I said, they made some WWE cards like I've never seen before. Like some other WWE collectors have never seen before. They went above and beyond in, in their product and it's, it's sad to see them go, but we'll see what happens with fanatics. Yeah. It seemed like they were um, kind of similar to what they did with basketball early on where they were actually courting collectors and trying new things. Uh, yeah. They had prioritized wrestling once they knew they were losing the other licenses. And, and there was some pretty cool stuff, like you said, coming out. So now it is going to fanatics, or at least there's, I don't know, there's some lawsuits. There's some stuff going back and <laughs> forth already. Yeah. And um, that's already been initiated in football as well. I have a feeling that's where basketball's headed. That license, you know, I, and I'm not, I don't want to speculate too much here, but you know, we're seeing it happen. It could probably be terminated for NBA as well. What are your thoughts on this whole takeover and how do you think it might affect your collecting moving forward? You know, the, the, the simple answer is I just don't know right now. Um, I'm hoping it goes better than Sholi's uh, sweatshirt did uh, <laughs> <laughs> that he mentioned a couple episodes ago. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm more of an optimist where I say they spent a lot of money to get these things. I don't think they're, not, they're just going to let them die. I think they're going to try to make them the best as possible. They're going to need people to buy them. They're going to need support of the hobby. Um, so, like I said, they spent a lot of money for these things. I think they're going to, you know, I think they got to try to make the best products they can. The one thing that concerns me is tops. You know, I, I'm a, I'm a lifelong tops collector. Tops only had one real high end set. If I remember correctly, the five star brand where Panini had national treasures, immaculate and um, well, even basketball, there just, there wasn't much of anything. Yeah. Um, even like big game, you know, I can, I liked big game, uh, with I the jumbo patches, game. but yeah, I love that. It stuff. didn't really catch on. Yeah. I guess there is for baseball for tops is five star and dynasty now, which would be cool for a basketball or wrestling product. But I just don't see that one box, you know, you hold in your hand through the cards as much as Panini and, and did with national treasures. They had flawless, they had immaculate. Um, so we'll see, uh, maybe they'll make new brands. Um, but I just don't, I just can't really answer right now because I haven't seen other than Bowman Chrome University, things like that, I haven't seen what Fanatics has been able to offer right yet. Um, the one thing, I, the other way I will say, like I said, I'm trying to be optimistic about this whole thing. They work with a lot of athletes directly. So maybe that will decrease some of the redemptions we get as well. So I, I know there's a lot of negatives right now. I know my, my couple of my local hobby stores, one didn't have a Tops account. Uh, he did. He did, he went through GTS. He got completely wiped out of Tops. He's not getting any more, unfortunately. Hmm. The other one, he used to have a top, he did have a tops account. He still does. He used to get four cases of some of the big products. Now we get down to one. So I think they're, they're, they're focusing more on the breakers right now and the influencers. 
But I'm going to try to remain optimistic. Once thing, some things, either if they do go wrong, I'll be the first to post about it because, you know, I always do. But I'm going to try to stay optimistic right now and hope for the best. Uh, my thinking is now, you know, I don't like the the path they're headed down. And, and I've been very vocal about that. And, and there's a segment that's going to come before this interview that you haven't heard yet, uh, where I was very vocal about that. Ah. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we can... Uh, at least speak out though, and maybe change the course of that before it's too late. That's my hope is that they actually want to listen to the collectors. They actually want to listen to their, their, their fan base, because I felt that's one thing Panini did wrong. They, they were great at the beginning. And then when they got popular around the pandemic, they're like, you know, it just seemed like they would say, we have more people. We'll, if you don't want to buy it tough, we'll, we'll find someone else. I'm hoping fanatics customer service. I'm hoping when you call us first off, I'm hoping when you call fanatics, they actually answer the phone because Panini never did. But, you know, I, like I said, I'm just going to try to stay up opti- as most optimi- optimistic as I can. And after um, after we hear your whole rant before this interview, hopefully I'll give some optimism to some of your listeners as well. But I'm looking forward to hearing that. Well, you mentioned the customer experience. I will say every time I've talked to fanatics on the phone or via DMs or, or whatever, the representatives have been very good. Usually the situation is resolved. That's the good. bigger issue though, and, and this is what kind of what I'll talk about more. The bigger issue though, is that the products still stink, but uh, <laughs> the actual, the actual customer service has been pretty good. So you might get that call through uh, if you ever end up with some sort of an issue, but I guess only time will tell. Uh, the good thing is even if there is this whole takeover, you've got plenty of stuff, old stuff that you can collect, plenty of old stuff you can go mm-hmm. back to. And it seems like you get a lot of this type of stuff. And I think you mentioned this earlier at card shows. And while I go to a lot of shows, I don't usually come away with many cards. So I'm curious to know what does your, you mentioned attending shows. What does your history of attending shows really look like? And then talk a little about the transition from simply attending shows to setting up at them. Yeah. You know, I remember my first show I ever went to was around, uh, it was Tom Brady's rookie year. And I, I set up with my cousin, David. And I had a Tom Brady EX rookie. I still remember. He gave me a little piece of his table. I had a Tom Brady EX rookie. This was before Tom Brady was Tom Brady. And I still remember selling that thing for $8 and being happy about it. So oh. uh, <laughs> that's how it all started. But luckily, it's gone uphill since then. Well, he was in a, a lot of the low-end stuff too, though. Yeah. I wish you could go back and buy some of that stuff. But, you know, my so my history started. I used to go to the Christmas, for those in the Northeast that are familiar with Christmas Comics, uh, I thought he used to have the best shows going uh, back in the day, and I wish he would bring those back. But I used to do it the uh, Christmas comic shows, which is a pretty decent sized show um, back in the early 2000s. And then my my other cousin, John Ryan, helped me get a table at the Shriners. I think it was way back in 2003. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the Shriners, it's the Northeast biggest show of the year each and every year in November. And then Rich Altman took it over in April. So there's actually two of those a year now. Um, but in coming up first weekend in November is the Shriners, which I'm looking forward to. So I did that every single year, um, since 2003, I set up at a few other local shows in the area, the, um, the Mansfield show, um, which is a smaller show, but it was still a pretty, pretty good show. I thought. And, um, then around 10 years ago, I started staying up with my brother, uh, Joey Bev at the national. Um, and we have a blast every single year setting up there. 
We've done that 10 years straight now. We're looking to you know do that forever because it's a really amazing show. It's an amazing time. You know, I hear I hear you and some other guys talk about the national, and all I'll say is that my grandfather made World War II sound better than you guys make walking around the national sound. I'm getting old, man. It's exhausting. <laughs> I you know what? I, I love the national, but it, it just wears me out. I, I think I go, I think I need to like shorten my days, maybe. You know, this this year more than ever, I was worn out. And I think it was the place was so hot this year. Like I don't think people will believe how hot that place was, but it was like a walk into a sauna almost and sitting there throughout the day. So I was a little more tired throughout the day, but yeah, but, I, everyone that was asking me on social media, is it really, was it really as hot uh, as, as everyone was saying? Yes. It, yes was, it was, it was ridiculous. I drank so much water that, that the, during those shows uh, just to get through it. But I've been staying up at the national for 10 years now. I love it. It's great seeing, you know, just people you only see at that show. It's great connecting with people you only, you know, talk to through social media and then you actually can connect with them there. So I've been doing that for 10 years now and I'll go to every show I can in this area as well. It's great. You know, uh, Causeway card shows, the, the card vault, they put in some awesome shows, including the Causeway card show, the Fenway card show, the Gillette shows coming up as well. So I usually set up at those or at least attend them if I can't set up at those. And there's so many other local card shows that have popped up. Um, the Flippin' Show, I could go on and on about the shows in this area, but there's so many great card shows and I love going to card shows. I mean, yeah, buying online is great. Buying on Instagram is great. But seeing the cards in hand, being able to flip through every bargain box there is. I flip, I, people always say I flip through the cards more fast than anyone they've seen because I've seen the cards already. I know what I'm looking for. I know what those parallels look like. And beyond the, you know, seeing those bargain boxes, though, there's, there's nothing more fun than digging through those bargain boxes. So, so it's really a great time. And, um, you know, I love, I love uh, doing things like that and going to shows. And just having the opportunity to talk to great people, buy some great cards. And then my favorite thing is always going home, usually getting a coffee and flipping through the cards, putting my new holders, putting them in my own bargain boxes. You know, that's one thing I always uh, prioritize is getting my my bargain boxes ready for the national. Because um, I want to, I know the competition here of the national. I want to have good quality cards at good prices. So I'll start getting ready for the national the day after I get home from the national. I'll start building my bar $5, $10, $20 boxes. I'll start putting stuff for my cases aside as well. And it's really rewarding to hear some people come up and say, wow, you really have some great bargain boxes. We've looked all around. We haven't been able to find them, but it's really been great to look through yours. So let's talk a little bit about that Fenway show, because it's hard for me to wrap my mind around a card show at a ballpark. Which, which maybe that's just because, you know, if, if it were to happen here, it would be Tropicana Field and, and no one wants to go there. Although you did tell me earlier, you're going to be there soon for a WWE event. Yeah, Royal Rumble. So does this format of the whole ballpark thing, does it actually work? Or was this just a product of the, the market boom and the pandemic that'll probably go away at some point? You know, I was skeptical. Um, I it, So it's the first time they did it was last year. And that was a great, it was really a great show. But this year... They were doubling the size. It's going to be like uh, right under the bleachers. And I said, how the heck are they going to pull this thing off? But I got to give the, you know, the card ball team, you know, props. It was a five-star show. It was completely packed the entire two days. I mean, from start to finish, it was packed. And there were people I've never seen before at shows. A lot of people came to their first show because it was at Fenway. Um, and I think Fenway was obviously a draw, but they did the show right. They had it covered because it was raining the first day. So, we, you know, we should have been getting soaked, but we weren't. They had them all, everyone in a, in a, in a safe place to set up their cards. And uh, it was it was just a blast. I went outside, you know, halfway through the show. I go have lunch, have a Fenway Frank on the – I would go sit outside the bleachers. They let you walk on the warning track. Um, they had some trophies on display. 
even if I wasn't even setting up, I would, even if there was no cards, it would be a cool experience, but they went, like I said, above and beyond and, and really had a great experience for people, both card collectors or people that just went for the show, you know, just to check it out. They had a great time as well, but I think they do a great, you know, they, they, they do shows at, at right at the TD garden. They do a shows at Fenway park. They're going to be doing one at Gillette stadium as well. I think they do a great job of getting people introduced to the hobby at these shows because a lot of people I talk to, they're like, oh, I used to collect cards as kids. I saw the show as at Fenway. I said, let me come check it out. And now I've seen a couple of those people ever since then coming on other shows. So like I said, you know, any card show, whether it's, you know, a, a, a five person card show or one all the way to the size of the national, they are great because they get people introduced to the hobby um, and get people out there and, and meeting people and talking to people and, and looking through cards and having fun over cards. Right. And get the cards physically in their hands because that's something that online can't do until they make that purchase. Exactly. Um, get so. the cards physically in their hands. That's great. So um, as we near the end of today's conversation, you know, we've talked about some of the things that you collect, but I want to talk about some of the specific centerpieces of your PC. Um, I'm excited to see what you picked out here because I honestly have no clue. And <laughs> even though we talked about all sports earlier, we we talked earlier and, and we figured, you know, let's do this for just basketball. So Let's hear your three favorite basketball cards. Go ahead and start with number three, and then we'll work your way to number one. Well, I'm not going to give you a number three because there's only two that really stand out for me. If I had to pick two cards above everything else, I could pick two. The third one could be a, a, a mixture of 100 cards. And if I'm not able to, I just want to announce one wrestling card I own, which is my all-time favorite card. It's a Andre the Giant cut autograph. It's from oh, Tops wow. Transcendent. There was the oversized one. Mm -hmm. And I remember since I was a kid, I dreamed of this picture of him. I dreamed of a, the, the giant signed as well, not just Andre. So that's probably one of my favorite cards. I just said I'd give a shout out to. Real and quick. I, I've seen, I think he's got like at least three variations where he signs, you know, whatever Andre, whatever his real name is, Andre, yes. and then Andre the giant. So you've exactly, got Andre yeah. the giant, which is yep. amazing. So that's so, so, but anyways, I can only really name two that really, there's so many cards I love in my collection, but these two really stand out above the, the rest. It's hard to put them in order, but number, so number three, I'm not going to mention just because there's so many cards I can put in that third slot, but number two would be the George Mikan uh, Upper Deck Legends inscriptions where he signs at Mr. Basketball. I just think that is, I, I was so lucky to get that, you know, before the, you know, way before the pandemic where, where, where it was affordable. Um, and I think that's the coolest card. Like that's, I'm a big basketball history guy. I love the old timers. And he's the guy that started it all. He's, 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 he is Mr. Basketball in my opinion. So to get, that was, I think the year he passed away as well. Mm -hmm. um, so Mr. Basketball, George Mikan. And it's, it's a horizontal card, right? So he had it's, plenty of space to write all of that on there. It's, oh, not it's cramped up. Yeah. It's a and it's, card. And, I mean, you look at some of these basketball players today that sign or sports athletes that signed today. And like, I remember Vernon Moore and he was a scribble and some other guys just lines, but he signed every letter with precision his George Mike is, is, um, is amazing as well. So that's definitely my number two. Okay. So hard to top that. So let's see what's number one. My favorite card of all time. I remember, I still remember picking it up and I, I've owned it ever since. So my favorite set of all time is um, 2001, 2002 upper deck legends. Um, they had the redemptions for like uh, the rookie year of Tony Parker and uh, all those great rookies that happened that year. But my favorite card from that set, they had an Upper Deck Legendary floor autographs and Upper Deck Legendary jersey autographs. The floors were numbered to 100. The Jordan was numbered to 23, which I do own that whole set. It's my favorite set I own. Hmm. But the my favorite card that they've ever made is the Bill Russell Upper Deck Legends autographed jersey number to uh, 50. 
the autographs perfect on it, the jerseys perfect on it, but they have a, a a black and white picture of Russell where he's looking towards the camera almost uh, over his shoulder, and they have the brown back, the brown like wood almost background. It's got the upper deck legends in silver. It that I remember when I first saw that card, it was it was amazing to me then. It's amazing to me now. It's it's by far my favorite card, and you know one that I will never uh, get rid of, never trade, never sell. Just because I think it's the most incredible car, especially one of the most incredible players of all time, Bill Russell. Kind of like that Bret Hart, where you saw it, you know, took whatever it took to get it, and, exactly and now you got so. it. Yeah, perfect. Well, um, we'll make sure. I know you probably have already posted those on social media, but maybe we'll uh, make a collage, or maybe we'll bump those up this week so people can see those. Mike, I am so glad that we finally got a chance to sit down and talk. I know, you know, we've kind of chatted here and there a little bit, but uh, this makes it official now. So when I reached out to you last week, you indicated you could talk forever about cards. So we're probably <laughs> going to have to do this again sometime. Before I let you go, though, I want to give you a chance to plug your social media handles and then anything you're working on or anything you might be looking for. These next few moments here are yours. Yeah, Mike Bev Celtics on Instagram. And I'm looking for everything and anything. I mean, there's nothing specific that I'm, I say I need to have. The one card I really want to have for my collection that I don't have yet, it's not a basketball card, so I hope I'm not going to get fine for mentioning it. It's uh, Eddie Guerrero uh, WCW NWO Tops autograph from, I think, 1999. I had it once. I sold it. And ever since he's passed away, it's you know the price has gone up. But I, I feel like I'm at the point where I need to add that card. So if anyone has it, if anyone has a lead on it, let me know. It's Eddie Guerrero, who is uh, obviously a, a legendary uh, late wrestler, WCW NW autograph. But that's the thing I love about collecting. I'm looking for everything. I'm looking for anything. So it always makes going to the shows a blast. It's great to see all the people that I see at the shows, including S. Howell. We'll include him and the whole Celtics group there. But I really had a pleasure today. I could talk forever about cards, so I'll have to shut up now so you can move the show along. But thank you again for having me. It was a great time. And uh, like I said, just always great talking to people like you that share the same fascination and pleasure in sports cards that I do. All right. Well, thanks again, Mike. All right. Well, there you have it. Thanks again to Mike for his time over this past weekend. Um, he actually skipped out on a card show so that he could chat with me. So once again, I really appreciate that. Make sure to reach out to him on social media and let him know that you enjoyed our conversation. And then as always, you can find me on Instagram under at Wax Museum Podcast or X under the handle at Wax Museum PC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes, Spotify or Google Podcast. Hit up the website for my affiliate links, tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. <laughs>